0: Hello, and welcome to Scribe to Screen, a podcast about visual adaptations of books from across the ages. I'm Kim, and this is my favourite cog in the capitalist machine, Charles.
1: I'm very efficient. (laughs) This week, we'll be discussing Antoine de Saint-Exuprise, 1943 novella Le Petit Prince, And the 2015 animated Netflix original film, directed by Mark Osborne, The Little Prince. Which is currently the highest grossing French animated film of all time. Lol. Uh, What does that say about French (laughs) animation? You'll have to find out. And who better to help us talk about this beloved French classic than a former higher IB French student? Mystery guest, reveal thyself.
2: Hi, I'm Amy. I'm a first year history student at the University of York and a former IB survivor. I'm also writing for the Yorker (laughs) at the moment, doing television and film reviews. And I'm also this guy's sister, I guess.
0: My condolences.
1: That's (laughs) Amy's biggest achievement, (laughs) being my sister. You peaked way too soon. Oh. (laughs) Oh.
2: Since birth, it could only go downhill. It
1: could only go downhill from here. Why don't you tell us something about your relationship with reading, Ames?
2: Oh, reading? Yeah. I do a lot of it.
1: Reading and film. Amazing.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, well, since I'm a, a writer at The Yorker, I do like a lot of film reviews, so I watch a lot of films, so I guess I'm kind of qualified to be doing this, sort of.
1: <laughs> I mean, as qualified as we are, maybe, Yeah. arguably.
2: <laughs> yes.
1: I suppose you do some reading for your history degree as well. You know, that thing on the side.
2: So much reading. Way too much much reading reading for that.
1: And you're also a massive fan of Haruki Murakami.
2: Oh, yeah. Aside from history reading, he is the only person I will read. Because it just couldn't get further away from my degree if I
1: tried. Do you want to break off from this and start our own podcast where we just talk about hey. Haruki Murakami? For, yes,
2: please. For Let's, five do hours. Hey. Let's, Let's do, do that. Let's do
1: that. Bye, Kim.
2: Wow. <laughs> End call.
1: <laughs> it's been less than five minutes. Excuse me. We've already usurped you. Amy, would you do us the honor of reading the blurb on the back of your copy of Le Petit Prince?
2: Wait, in French? Because uh, I don't have one.
1: Okay, Amy's flexing on us with a <laughs> monolingual French version. <laughs> no, read the English version of the bilingual version.
2: You have a it's bilingual that. version of... Oh, God. I'm definitely not doing it in French because there's numbers, and I hate numbers. <laughs> the Little Prince, published in 1943, is French aviator Antoine de Saint-Exupéry's most famous novella. It's been translated into more than 190 languages, and so more than eight. 80 million copies, making it one of the best-selling books ever. You could be excused for thinking that this book contains a simple story for young children. How wrong would you be?
1: (laughs) And let that set the tone (laughs) for our discussions of Le Petit Prince. Yes. Kim, would you give us the film's synopsis?
0: I shall. All right. Um, Here's the film synopsis on IMDb. A little girl lives in a very grown-up world with her mother... Who tries to prepare her for it. Her neighbour, the aviator, introduces the girl to an extraordinary world where anything is possible, the world of the little prince." Okay!
1: What a okay. Wonderful world it is. It's extraordinary compared to the world that she's already in, we can it's say fine. that
0: much. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Speaking of things that are fine, Amy, would you like to tell us about your time <laughs> in the international baccalaureate system? <laughs>
2: should we just like insert the war flashbacks here please
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey this is something you guys can bond over maybe you should oh, start yeah. a podcast yeah, about just
2: about the, the idea ID. yeah yeah please no i don't want to go back to that time in my life <laughs>
1: oh, no <laughs> well uh, <laughs> we're forcing you to so
2: yeah i had to study this text for higher ib french and did actually end up choosing it for my speaking exam um, and I still could probably recite the opening paragraph to my speaking exam off by heart since it's been completely ingrained into my brain. Do it then. No. <laughs> no. <laughs>
1: no. No. Absolute no.
2: <laughs> Absolute no, no.
1: Okay, cool. <laughs> torture aside, uh, did you like it? Do you still like it?
2: Surprisingly, after all of that torture, I am still quite fond of the book and its messages of friendship loss of imagination and the different aspects of human nature that are looked into and researched. Mm -hmm. The film, on the other hand, I'm not as keen on and that may be because I am quite biased towards the book. For some reason, teachers do love forcing students to watch film adaptations of all of the books they're studying
1: but <laughs> this will make them love the book <laughs>
2: yeah it didn't really help at all considering the film <laughs> like the film uses the book pl- only as a stepping stone into its own interpretation the students we didn't really have much time to analyze different perspectives and opinions surrounding the book and its adaptations all we wanted to know was what would get us a passing grade and then forget that the french language ever existed
1: boy. Now that's a podcast topic. Grievances about education and how <laughs> literature is taught. Charles, if you want
0: to get out of this podcast, you just have to say so. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to create three alternate projects. One on of the
1: these class. days I will. Oh no. No, well I felt that at school as well. You don't really have time to get into all of the subtle nuances. You've got to fit in everything on the syllabus somehow. But that's why it's great that there are podcasts run by saddos like us, where we do have <laughs> the time to dwell on all that sh- so yeah. <laughs> so personally, I first read Le Petit Prince uh, earlier this year. Well, hey, 2020 am I, right? Cool. I was trying to learn French while living and working in Brussels. I like reading as a way to engage with language. Amy had this nifty bilingual edition of the book. She had studied at IB. So I thought, why the hell not? I just wish she had told me before I'd read it that it was rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. It's it's a surprisingly good book for language learners because it leans a lot on repeated phrases like, "Oh, Amy, please, you're judging oh, me." No. <laughs> Amy's judging me for the record. <laughs> Les grands sont bien étranges. <laughs> <laughs> Étrange? Étrange? Yeah. <laughs> the grown-ups are extraordinary. <laughs> Very extraordinary.
2: Mm. Yeah, that will do. We'll go with that.
1: Let's roll with that. Thanks. Ce n'est pas un homme, c'est un champignon.
2: Yeah, that, that wasn't too bad, actually.
1: Yeah, yeah. That is no what man. What does that one mean? That is no man. That is a mushroom. <laughs> yep.
0: <laughs> I do not remember that line.
1: Where is it from? It's a very deep and subtle line that the little prince says about the businessman yeah
2: i think that oh was actually, that's right yes yes that was in the extract i had to do for my speaking exam and no one was like suspecting it was going to be that extract
1: whoa very deep and subtle philosophy from antoine de saint-exupree i man do love that
0: man is a mushroom it it so accurately describes so many people that i know
1: <laughs> yeah I, it's a very 2020 mood sometimes you all quite... feel like mushrooms
0: i am a fine guy uh <laughs>
1: Yeah, <laughs> please tell us about your journey. No, I mean mine's book. not
0: very interesting. Um actually oh, mine was also a story of torture and my parents <coughs> have a thing where had a thing when I was a little kid who where they were like, "Oh, here are all the classics you should read, Kim." And then they would buy me a copy of like David Copperfield, which I still haven't read. And then be like, really? you should read this book. You should read this book. It's so good. It's a classic." And so I actively avoided reading The Little Prince for maybe most of my childhood.
1: That was on your list, The Little Prince. Um,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Damn, we are under. I just actively
0: avoided reading it. My mum was like, you gotta read it, it's great. And then I just <laughs> said no, repeatedly, <laughs> over That's and over bad. again. It's funny
1: how parents telling you to do stuff actually makes you want to rebel against it more.
0: Yeah, surprising, Which is relevant to the it? film. I don't actually remember when I first read it. It was many years ago. Um, I remember liking it quite a lot, but then not bothering to read it again until we decided to do this podcast. And so I read it for probably the <laughs> second time yeah and this is my first time seeing this film
1: scribe to screen is great for if nothing else forcing us to read classics that we really didn't want to read
2: and bring oh, up yeah. bad memories and I bringing mean, yeah.
1: up memories of torture yeah uh, cool so, childhood
0: trauma the podcast childhood
1: trauma the podcast so for the people who hadn't seen the film before how was it wait that's me yeah yeah i like <laughs> <laughs> i hadn't seen it before Yeah, no, I like the film quite a lot, actually. In terms of animated films that aren't into the Spider-Verse, I think it's really charming (laughs) and definitely one of the better ones of the last decade. Uh, It's got some really bold art styles. It recontextualizes some brackets, one of the book's themes for a modern (laughs) audience. It's emotional. It made me feel a feel, you know? You know?
2: Mm. I guess after Mm. watching it for like a second time, because obviously I had to watch it in school, I guess I like it a little more than I did before, but I still oh, I, mean, yeah. I still think the story surrounding the little girl completely overshadows the plot of the little prince. And a lot of the main events in the book are brushed over way too quickly to be established mm. as important. With interesting and, results. Yeah, and also a lot <laughs> yeah. of the themes that are really important are also brushed over way too quickly for me, I think. No, yeah. that's true.
0: I mean, this seems to be one of the many many films that we have covered and will cover on Scribe to Screen, where we're just like, it was a pretty good film, but I don't really see why they would attach an existing property to it. Yeah. I mean, in this case, like, I do kind of get it. We, we go into later, like, how it riffs off the themes of The Little Prince, and it's like, sure. But it's also highly possible that the, the process of making this was like, I want to make this movie about capitalism being cruel to children, but I'm <laughs> never going to get it funded.
1: <laughs> so yeah. I know what I'll do. Is that what we have to do to get our important messages out there now?
0: I mean, I might be wrong about this because it does quite engage, it does engage the source text quite a lot, but it also, like, the level to which it does do that makes it seem like you could easily have not done that and made a very similar movie, and that that might have been the original intention. It definitely
1: slips into that territory on some occasions. And yeah. maybe we can start with that. Launching into some basic audio-visual comments we have yeah. about the film. Because I think the film's voice direction is pretty hit or miss. Which is quite difficult in mm. animation to begin with because you're not looking at actors. You're looking at animations having voices yeah. added to them.
2: It's kind of trippy, I feel. <laughs> it's
1: kind of <laughs> trippy. Let's go with that. <laughs> and you know, some films do this well and... The Little Prince does it well. Sometimes, I think the pace at which some of the events from the book are glossed over doesn't allow for relationships to be built on all that much. Even though this is like a star-studded VO. Oh,
0: there was so many, so many famous people in this movie. I don't even remember which ones,
1: <laughs> but like Rudd a plays lot of them. Shaggy, the <laughs> yes, Little Intern, Mr.
2: Prince, <laughs> Mr. prince. <laughs> whoever that is. Oh yes, yeah. Paul Rudd, and did it was this. on That's the same right.
1: weekend that Ant Man released. Fun facts. ha
2: huh. One of my major problems with this film, and this probably comes from having to study the book so much, oh, was the pacing go. of the film. Mm. Yeah, this is where I go off in a little rant. Mark Osborne seems to take some of the events and emphasise them a lot more than others. But for me, I think he chooses the wrong events <laughs> to emphasise. Yeah. For example, the there's... Ones. There's the whole development of the relationship between the little prince and the rose. And this is barely established in the film compared to the book
1: right. where they
2: look into this and how, you know, they they become friends and fall in love and stuff like that. Um, and I think that's central to understanding where the little prince's like thought process and development comes from because his decision to leave his pla- planet is due to the rose um, that's supposed to be pivotal but it highlights <laughs> the mutual mistakes made by both characters and their first experiences of love and it shows that these mistakes are important learning you know learning
1: processes learning
2: processes for both of them but in the film this this conversation just happens kind of as the prince is leaving he's flying yeah. away with the birds and the rose is just sort of shouting from the planet like i'm so sorry <laughs> <shy>, i <I've laughs> up please forgive me <laughs> and that was just way too one-sided and it didn't go into enough depth about the theme of love yeah
1: right and then he comes back like 10 years later and we're supposed to believe that you know he still cares about the rose and the fact that the rose is dead is supposed to be this really dark moment. Yeah. yeah. And
2: it's it also links to the rose bush. It kind of makes that irrelevant because you never get to see their development. And him being like, the rose is so unique. And then when he sees this bush, he's like, well, my rose isn't unique anymore. And it's kind of like, where is that established?
1: Hmm. Maybe the little prince has too much the little prince in it. <laughs> you know, we should have just scrapped the original source work. Entirely. <laughs> Make Why it do we need to film. pay homage to this? Make it a new <laughs> film. Yeah, Ames, your experience with this is unique in that when you watched it for the first time, you actually watched it with the French dub.
2: Yeah, so I've watched it with both the French language being used for the characters <laughs> and also the English. And honestly, I think the French voiceover fits the characters so, like, so much better than the original English. Because mm. as soon as the Little Prince opened his mouth in the English version... It just feels wrong, and I can't explain why. It yeah. just does. You
1: did let out an audible "uh" yeah, when you yeah. heard the little <laughs> after the first word. Wrong. Sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, he looked really good, and then suddenly it just all came.
1: <laughs> yes. Down. Yeah, there is that.
0: Not to sound like I'm talking about some guy who tried to pick me up in a bar or something, <laughs> but yeah, no, I agree. I think the little prince sounds a lot more childish than I imagined, which which is what I wrote down. Like. It's it's possible that there is no voice that would yeah. have worked, because it's hard to, like... I kind of always assumed the little prince would have this sort of voice of youth, but also maturity, and like moral authority, and
1: precocious wit, and I
0: don't know if... Is moral authority something that a voice can sound like? Because I don't...
2: <laughs> yes, you know? I also keeping the childish aspect.
1: Yeah, right. He is yeah. the little d- diminutive prince, after all.
2: I, I mean, I was convinced that he
0: was the same guy as Aang from Avatar, which is, like, he's not. But he sounds like he is, though. And I like Aang from Avatar, but, you know. <laughs>
1: I think that's vastly underselling <laughs> uh, Zach. Not. What's his name? Zach Eisler's range as a voice actor?
0: Which one is Zach Eisler's uh, Aang, Aang, sorry. Aang's voice actor. Not. Ah.
1: He has amazing sorry, range.
0: Aang. <laughs> he is very good.
1: Yeah, there are just some stink like top quality stinker tier lines in there as well. (laughs) The scene where Mister Prince looks off into the camera and goes, "Oh no, the baobabs" comes to mind. (laughs) Like some of these lines are just kind of poorly written. It feels
2: very officey when he does that as
1: well. (laughs) It's very off Into the camera as if he's on the office. (laughs) Miranda Hart, the baobabs. Oh no, the baobabs. And what's the other one?
2: Oh
0: no. Speaking of Avatar The Last Airbender, no, like, my cabbages. My
1: cabbages! My <laughs> baobabs!
0: My baobabs!
1: <laughs> what was the other line? Like, when the little girl realises... that When they return to the planet, they find out that the rose is dead. The little girl goes, oh no, this can't be. <laughs> Which, after the <laughs> trip that we've just been on, you know, some really good and powerful scenes... It's all about uh, life
2: being fleeting, and then this girl... <laughs> They come to this planet with this rose who's been here for, like, God knows how long. Right. She's so shocked and upset. It's like, have you
1: not learned anything from the whole story? Beauty is fleeting. (laughs) This is what we've been trying to teach you. (laughs) Among
0: other things. Many, many other things. I'm also, like, I'm not really a huge fan of the fox either. I remember pointing this out. Like, the fox sounds kind of like an asshole.
1: Mm, James. And
0: I was really not expecting the fox to sound that much like an asshole. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry to the fox
1: sorry fox very much leaned into the whole medieval medieval medieval, <laughs> medieval stereotype of foxes being sly and feverish, yeah is that really what i want from my fox best friend
2: yeah it didn't really work here He's mm-hmm. going to
1: die in my lap and also tell me that my rose is important because of emotions that i invested in it personally but cheers mr fox <laughs>
0: look cute anyway
1: <laughs> but these are You know, a few, a couple rare instances. It would be remiss of us to not note that the film looks gorgeous. Yeah. It's changing art styles. This film is a visual treat. I love how the film opens up with a storybook intro and time lapses of the actual drawings from Mm -hmm. the book. And then the shadows of the adults loom over the pages, yelling, hey, dingus, you better do a subject like maths or science, (laughs) but not theoretical science, the kind that helps us make weapons that we can point at China. (laughs) Or maybe history, I don't know. That's pretty useful.
0: No, it's not. Uh, under these (laughs) under this sort of mindset anyway, I'm not saying anything against my fellow humanity subject.
1: Yeah. We've got a history student on the call. I respect that very much.
0: Look okay, I spent three years being told that I wasn't doing a real subject. I solidarity with that.
1: Okay, lord it up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have done the opening any other way. Mm. And then after that, the majority of the real world scenes in the film are this generic faux Pixar look. But I kind of saw it as a subtle jab at how all kids films look the same now. Mm. Like it's trying to be Pixar financially successful and appealing. Of course, it's the the capitalist nightmare that's this dingy, modern, grid-like suburbia that's presented in the really generic style. And then you go back to the scenes from the book and they're told in this papier-mâché, woodcrafted style and it's just... "Mm, It's beautiful.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I do like the way that they took the drawings from the book because they're like referred to directly in the book Mm. uh, where the pilots say, oh, I can't do the little prince justice because... I only learnt how to draw bow constrictors and elephants and cyborg constrictors. Right. So I do like that they use the drawings, that's quite nice. Yeah.
0: I mean I think it is notable that like most of, when we were talking about the voice work being weird, like most of the vocal goofs are just from the bits that actually adapt the book. Like the framing device is fine. Right. <laughs> And and I think, I mean, you know, I agree that the visuals from these sections are really stunning, um, but in other respects, I think the film just isn't really interested in them at all, which is yeah. probably why the voice looks yeah, so weird in those bits. I don't know.
1: It's just trying to hypnotise us with nice papier-mâché eye candy, <laughs> CGI porn, but not like the Avengers. Lol. Whoa. I
0: mean, you get the sense that they're just trying <laughs> to get it over with um, so that they can get back to the main plot of the movie. <laughs> which is, you know. <laughs> yes,
2: I get that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's fair to say. Yeah.
0: Which, speaking of the main plot of the movie, why don't we talk about the framing device? You know, the film.
1: The film? <laughs> yeah, based on the novella, The Little Prince. Yeah. No. Okay, so I'm not going to blame Mark Osborne for this one, because when you have a novella as light on plot as The Petit Prince, it's not surprising to see the action of that book framed by an original story. What we have here in The Little Prince is an original character, the little girl, who serves as a kind of analogue for a young reader of the book. She lives in this grey world where her life revolves around getting into a prestigious school, learning important subjects Mm. so she can become a well-functioning cog in the capitalist machine. This is starting to sound familiar. That's because this is real life. (laughs) And these things happen nowadays. And then over the course of the summer she meets the airman who is now not the narrative voice of the story yeah the little prince but he tells the story from the book to the little girl and it's through that story that she learns the importance of imagination and friendship with old men you know the important lessons
2: yeah the book is written as like a generalized memoir that is left open to interpretation by all of the family both children and adults <laughs> whereas the film definitely seems targeted by employing this little girl mm. um it seems targeted at children that are arguably from middle class families yeah that are probably broken and they probably all, all have some kind of like daddy issues <laughs> and <that's>... bloody hell <laughs> because like <laughs> like <laughs> Oh God! and that's done by focusing solely on this little girl and her life yeah
0: Mm. you know it it takes what is a text that is left to the interpretation of the consumer and like gives it to a specific consumer i guess is what you're saying and and i'd agree with that is yes this film is really interested in staging the act of reading which i think we'll come back to later but i think i'm also Hmm. really fascinated by yeah yeah but how, like, doing that sort of sets The Little Prince, as in the source material, as explicitly fictional within the the universe of the movie. So it's not, like, an adaptation of The Little Prince in the same way that other things are adaptations of whatever. That, that sentence, that was a sentence. Uh- <laughs>
1: <laughs> but the story is happening in real time yeah, yeah, yeah. and no, you're not... thinking oh deja vu i've read narnia before, <laughs> the chronicles of narnia
0: yeah no exactly but like in this case it's like you know the little prince is fictional within this film it's not real mm. i mean i guess they saw sort of wishy-washy on whether it's real or not but you know it's a book
2: ah i, I will talk about that <laughs>
1: ah. uh,
0: but like i think is that's that's also really fitting because this book is sort of I mean the Little Prince has an outsized reputation. Not that it doesn't deserve to be popular, but that it's like so much more <laughs> popular than you'd expect a book like this to be. You know, it's right, yeah. it's a sweet little philosophical text and now it's on tote bags everywhere.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and people are running around saying Say, I'm off <laughs> <laughs> to people in the street, you know. You can. It's just so deeply ingrained in our lexicon.
0: I mean, you can buy Little Prince post-its, <laughs> which I find deeply hilarious. oh, I mean, it's cute, but you know, and and I just think like, <laughs> you know, the idea of Little Prince as a commodity has, to an extent, far outstripped the actual message of the text. So it makes a certain amount of sense to focus this film not necessarily on any of the themes per se, but on like the act of the book existing in the universe.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let's strip it right back and make this film about the book that everybody knows and just one person engaging with it. Yeah.
0: I, I think it's really interesting at the same time, though. And this is just like an offhand remark, but also that the reason I think this is fitting for the book is because the book is such a consumer product. But in the film, the text of The Little Prince, The Little Prince is not a consumer product at all. It's like handwritten manuscript that only one person gets to read. I don't really have any conclusions mm. to draw about this. I just think it's very strange, but also interesting.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely changes. Oh, I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm cutting that bit out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just make some noises. No, I, I get what you're saying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, agreeing
2: noises. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Agreement noises. No, I get what you're saying. And I've got some thoughts on maybe maybe the development process behind this whole thing Yeah, that we've hinted at before. I feel like taking the papier-mâché bits of the film and the bits that actually tell the story from the book would have been perfectly valid for a short film, like, I don't know, an hour-long animation of the snowman or something like that.
2: The snowman? Yeah.
1: Oh, the the Christmas film that's like one hour long and it's an animation. It's nice
2: and it just wraps everything up quite quickly.
1: Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Not like a, this is the first feature-length film adaptation of The Little Prince. And I feel like there's a reason behind that, yeah. because it's pretty hard to adapt, right? Mm. But those types of films, those little 40 minute long shorts, don't win Oscars. <laughs> so Mark Osborne was like, okay, how are we going to turn this 100 page novella with no plot into a Pixar feature length film and make it not seem like the ramblings of a crazy person with a bunch of loose frames <laughs> dangling about?
0: I mean, so you're saying this is a purely commercial decision with this with this property like since when S- since this when? this
1: economy yeah <laughs> <laughs> no i'm not even saying that i don't believe that because i think mark osborne and the script writers yeah do genuinely love the little prince and mm-hmm. they wanted to find a way to make this work and to make it
2: get to as many people as possible i guess Right. (laughs) not in like a commercial way but in a look at this story it's so important Yeah. but to get people to watch it I guess they had to adapt it
1: and like recapture the magic of it by telling the story of one person experiencing it for the first time Mm. Mm. and like forgetting all of the basically they made it up the solution was to make it up (laughs) but instead of being about the old man's development they swap the roles and it's About the child's development. Yeah. But then again, is it? Is it? I don't know. I I genuinely like the character of the little girl. I sympathize with her. I can't bring myself to hate an adaptation bold enough to create its own world and characters. Mm. And which treats the book as a book, a material text is what it is. A story for others to read and dissect. Instead of like being completely enthralled to it, like it's some monolithic piece of media. But I don't know. I just feel like the more I read about the little girl's inclusion in the film, the more questions I have. <laughs> I found an interesting tidbit.
2: Well, that was me actually researching it. <laughs> Ooh, Amy, <child>. found,
1: <laughs> Amy oh. found an interesting tidbit by going on Wikipedia. Yeah, it
2: was on Wikipedia. We were trying I was trying to research something else but just fell upon this. Sure. Instead, cool.
1: I found an interview <laughs> with <laughs> between Mark Osborne and the Vancouver Sun in which he stated that he specifically made the little girl a girl because of the gender disparity of protagonists in animated films. Okay. Which he read in a Gina Davis Institute of Gender and Media study over his Cheerios one day. (laughs) And he was like, that's it. That's our protagonist. Make her a girl. (laughs) Which um, is like fine, like...
2: Yeah, like it doesn't add anything or take away anything yeah
1: visibility isn't inherently yeah. representation but this film isn't really that bothered with ideas of gender any
0: i mean yeah uh, like oh if we, if you want to talk about the character of the little girl for a moment she's a very adult little girl in my opinion like she's not she yeah. isn't a child in the classical sense or in the sense of like that is presented in the little prince she's very much drawn into and corrupted by the adult world
1: yeah which I- Amy said something to me in this vein that the little girl seems to have bought into her mother's view of the world. She's not like some repressed artist rebelling against the grown-ups. Yeah. She just doesn't want her life to be defined solely by what this world considers matters of consequence. Right. She's not like the narrative voice of Le Petit Prince, which is actively saying, I had an artistic career that was suppressed when I was really young because of my parents' attitudes towards art or whatever.
2: Yeah, I mean, even by the end of the film, she still gets up on the first day of school and puts her uniform on. She's even ready before her own mother. Yeah. Like, she's, like, ready. She's raring to go to school. It's not like she doesn't want this. She clearly does still want it. She just wants Mm. to
1: be fulfilled in other areas as well. yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, aside from that, though, there's also, you know... I mean, we talk about how turning this film into a film about reception really narrows down the message to the original text, but I think it's notable that what it narrows the message to the original text down to, among other things, but like mainly it's it's a it becomes a text about childhood and how like a certain vision of childhood, specifically the whimsical version, is better than adulthood, right. which is grim,
1: just inherently grim. <laughs> I mean, like, well, you're, you know,
0: the way that you talk about the girl at the end when she's sort of self actualized, like, she gets a nice good mix of those two things. But right in the beginning, she has no. Mm. Her lack of childishness is very notable at the beginning of the film. And I think it's because, well, partly because yeah. one of the main themes that the film is trying to go for is a certain version of childhood is necessary in the world and is not there anymore. I think the reason why the girl is so adult to begin with and not just, like, winds up balancing quote-unquote adulthood and like quote-unquote childhood but like the reason why she's so sour Uh, (laughs) dour is the right word actually it's it's because
1: (laughs) so boring what
0: (laughs) no no but it's because like i think the film is deliberately (laughs) trying to make a comment about how like the version of childhood that that is emphasized in the little prince just doesn't exist anymore ever right (laughs) including in actual children
1: I hadn't thought about that. It does exist in uh, old aviators, though.
2: Yeah, old men.
1: Yeah. But even then, it's still a very sanitized, whimsical version of imagination, right? The kooky old guy trope. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: In the book, it's very, you know, the world of childhood exists alongside the world of adulthood. There's sort of like parallel universes or, or separate planets that exist in the same universe. There is, like, literally mm. separate planets that are weird. <laughs> and, like, all the children are real people, <laughs> and all the adults are just absurd caricatures because adulthood is weird. But in this film, yeah. everyone, like, is this weird, absurdist caricature of a human being. And I don't mean this in, like, a bad way. I mean, like, this is clearly intentional. But the little girl yeah. and mm. all the kids that we see are just, like, not real people either, which I think implies that the whole planet is corrupted by this this adulthood.
2: Yeah, I guess it brings it more into, like, the thing that children these days could relate to. Yeah. Is in, like, they're being forced into this system of education that doesn't allow for anything but education. Like, they can't Mm. have friends, no social life. But it's still,
1: yeah, a more absurd version of that than, say, the childhood that the aviator describes in the book Le Petit Prince, right? Yeah, which is very natural. the adults act Yeah, 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 the adults act quite naturally in the way that they speak down to their child, terms that he would understand. You know, you need to do history and politics and geography and stuff. Mm. Yeah.
0: I think this is... it is a lot more
1: absurd. Yeah, exactly.
0: I think this is really interesting because it kind of gives one explanation as to why The Little Prince is a fictional text within the universe of the film. Because it kind of implies that, Mm. that the book is wrong about the world because the world is so much worse than the author <laughs> ever expected or imagined.
1: The world is so much worse that we need to make these horrifying animations of it.
0: Yeah. And that, like, you know, glory. for all the sadness of The Little Prince, the text, it's, like, deeply optimistic about the world of childhood continuing to exist. And whereas this film's yeah
2: the book kind of shows how the pilot he changes and he he's an adult and he acts like an adult but he still has his imagination back right it's more about the loss of imagination and you can still get that back whereas in the film it's kind of like this is lost like it's just gone
1: (laughs) nobody (laughs) has it it's this torn up book yeah this bunch of notes that the world has forgotten in an old man's house who no one cares about yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's true. The fact that we even sit, we sit around the campfire and listen to the aviator when we read the book <laughs> ourselves mm. is testament that he is an adult worth listening to. Yeah. Because he is a narrative voice. Yeah, yeah.
0: And speaking of
1: I like the that. aviator. Oh, no. The aviator. Yeah, Amy's got a th- issue with me calling him the airman, which Just is...
2: pilot. Pilot is fine. It
1: says airman on IMDb, so we're calling him the um uh, man well
2: i'm calling him pilot
1: okay the in, guy well
2: in the, yeah in the <laughs> in the book it is quite clear how the pilot evolves after time due to his experiences with the little prince and yeah. his story that he like tells the pilot um However, in the end, he doesn't exactly turn into this crazy old guy. Um, (laughs) He does keep some of his his original personality. Like I was saying before, he still is an adult. He just has some of his imagination back. And it's more philosophical in a sense, rather than he's like a bit off his rocker. (laughs) And I think... Oh
1: gosh,
2: <laughs> I think the whole crazy old guy trope downplays the seriousness of the story that we're yeah. telling here mm. and makes yeah, the yeah. pilot's character development a little less believable, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I why mean, would I... the little
1: girl believe that anything he says is real?
2: Yeah. He's he, clearly he is,
1: had too many brandies. He has
2: lost <laughs> his marbles.
1: <laughs> I'm oh really geez.
0: not... I agreed like I'm really not into how they turned him into just like manic pixie
1: dream pilot. <laughs> <laughs> manic pixie dream pilot. Amy took a sip of water then and it was I the wrong died. time. <laughs> 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 I had to do that.
0: Thank you. I'm here all week. <laughs> just <laughs> psh-
1: sh- over the oh laptop.
0: <laughs> I mean <laughs> I know, I know, I'm quite mm. proud of that one myself. I get at least one good joke per episode of Scribe to Screen. <laughs> fixable, I think, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I know, and I, like, I agree that it, it dissolves the quiet melancholy, which is like my favourite part of the book, and I mean, it's just a very sad book in my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong about this. Like, it's not unrelentingly sad, yeah, There's a lot of definitely. hope and joy in it, but it's just kind of like it, it's about, you know, how childhood ends, and how like you don't have to turn into the worst kind of adult but you still won't have that clarity of vision <laughs> that children have and and how like maturity yeah. is important yeah. but yeah. it comes with a cost you know and like the idea that you can just go into and your old age and develop a second childhood all of a sudden is really not not in keeping with that <laughs> at all
1: and like the shakespearean idea of second childhood where yeah. king lear goes nuts and starts killing everyone mm. yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah as children I mean... do
1: as aviators are known to do
2: (laughs) yeah that's a personality trait they all have
1: yeah yeah you wanted to say something
2: yeah i mean i do think the book is it's quite bittersweet yeah i feel Mm. and I, i like that because it kind of shows like life is fleeting nothing can last forever but because of these things that like the experiences you share with these people You can still like that's what's good the memories you can still remember them and that's what makes it nice and i think the Mm. film is just yeah the guy is way too kooky for this to come across
1: (laughs) it's true it's kind of nuts yeah Yeah. i do like how he does become the vector for a lot of visual callbacks from the book like when the police officer knocks on his door and he puts on a suit and a monocle to blend in with the outside world It's like that segment in the Petit Prince where the Turkish astronomer presents his discovery of the little prince's planet in his native dress, and he's completely ignored by the businessmen. But then as soon as he puts on a suit and like oh, conforms right. to Western business
0: yeah, uh, yeah.
1: standards, suddenly they all believe him and take him seriously. Obviously, it's nowhere near as like parodic as that. Like, that's actually some kind of <laughs> sharp satire seen from a kid's eyes. Yeah. Uh, whereas this is just an old man putting on a suit to look responsible. What I'm trying to say is that uh, Antoine de saint is probably <laughs> rolling in his grave when he sees lines like, matters of consequence become the radio station. I mean, the- seriously? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a bit in the film where a car drives by. Oh my gosh. And on the radio it says, coming up next, matters of consequence. <laughs> it's like, okay, maybe that's a bit too absurd. I'm not sure Antoine would have agreed with that.
0: Mm-hmm. Who knows? Who can say?
1: You know, that's not even how the young aviator sees humanity in his satirical worldview. Oh well. Mm. Another thing about the airman, though, is that he's just not a great mentor figure. He doesn't even have a driver's license, for goodness yeah. sake. <laughs> I
2: don't, don't
1: have a driver's license. He doesn't have a driver's license. Yeah, none of us do on yeah, this no. show. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Call us troubled kids. I mean, no, wait.
1: You shouldn't listen to anything we say because we don't have driver's licenses. Okay? <laughs>
2: the whole episode is useless It's now. moot.
1: <laughs> I mean, I get this girl leads a very sheltered life, but the airman is just an irresponsible jerk sometimes. It's also
2: kind of creepy how it's just like, you want to get some pancakes?
1: Let's go get some pancakes. Let's get pancakes. Oh, wait, I can't drive. Drive. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not convinced that the interactions between the airman and the little girl, that the mother witnesses are enough to justify the mother's 180 at the end of the film, where she just realizes, oh yeah, this airman is a completely great mental figure and I want my daughter to be hanging around with him. He's obviously good for her. You know, the mother witnesses the airman get her daughter into trouble with the police, and then sees her daughter present this lovingly bound version of the little Prince at the end, yeah, you can see from that why the airman might have had a significant impact on the girl's life, but I don't buy that he's made such a strong impression on the family I mean to be fair, the mother would oh go on,
0: oh no, I was gonna say, I think to be fair, like I kind of read it more as the little girl screaming at her mother that she never loved her, and then giving her the silent treatment for several days. And then showing like open affection towards this guy might have been the things to convince her that she was not doing a good job as a parent. Ooh, yeah,
1: Amy.
2: <laughs> well, i for some reason I'm fully convinced that this mum has some daddy issues and views the pilot as a. Okay. Theater. And I mean, she can't. She can't. Where are her parents during all of this? And. Her husband, clearly, there's not like a good relationship there, so she can't hold down many relationships in her life. So (laughs) that's just the vibe that I get from her.
1: Oh my gosh. She's trying her best, Amy. I'm sorry.
2: I'm very critical here.
1: Jeez. You know, when you're a parent, I'm gonna come over your house and criticize your parenting. Oh no. I'm so
2: sorry. I mean, how you, you might
0: get to some, you might get into some difficult territory being like, Amy. I think you have daddy issues, especially since you know, <laughs>
1: oh yeah, you I share might.
0: parents.
1: Okay, so the airman is definitely supposed to be some kind of surrogate father fig- paternal parent, figure, paternal figure, <laughs> parent figure.
0: I think actually that this sort of goes back to what we were saying before about how the film sees the book as fictional in its own universe because it just fundamentally disagrees with the idea that the world could be as good as that. I think at a certain point, the filmmakers got too happy for the dystopian nightmare that is late capitalism, and actually happy mixed up, which is how we ended up with this, like, weird version of The Little Prince that is not sad at all? Or, like, very only sad occasionally and, like, less so than usual? And where, like, the, the aviator is happy and self actualized and, like this quite upsetting story is enough to bring light and life to a family forever. But not because necessarily it is, yeah. <laughs> I, I agree, I really find cool, and I'm not sure I agree, but like I, I find it compelling how the film is just like, the actual world is so much grimmer than the world of The Little Prince, actually. But yeah. and I can, but basically, like I can just see how that translated kind of weirdly into The Little Prince is actually a happy and inspirational story that makes people happy including its narrator.
1: That must really say something about the current state of the world then. If the little yeah. prince of all books is the thing that's going to cheer us up. Yeah. yeah.
0: I just find that very peculiar, Yikes. but like not, it's not an insane train of thought, you know, it's just kind of, hmm.
1: Hmm. hmm. Let's stick
0: with that for a minute.
1: <laughs> it has consequences.
0: <laughs> yes, it does.
1: Well, okay, let's put the airman in hospital for a sec. <laughs> okay. Jump Two thirds of the way into the film. Yeah. This is the point in the film where the book's material has been completely exhausted. Mm. The airman finishes the story of Le Petit Prince, and the girl can't accept that it might not be real. Yeah. She throws a tantrum, falls into the trap that her mother fell into, of viewing everything imaginative as non-essential and unimportant. And then goes off to find the little prince and essentially continue the story in her own words, in her own interpretation. And, I mean, from this point on, stylistically, the film just turns into budget Into the Spider-Verse a whole two years before Into the Spider-Verse came out. It's got hyper-stylized cities, themes of identity, a brooding parental figure who has forgotten who he was, but then rediscovers himself through the aid of a young, (laughs) wide-eyed character obsessed with his legacy, it's got Kingpin, right? Mixed with film Mitchell, <laughs> but it's still definitely Kingpin. It's even got the inexplicably giant room at the end with the world-ending machine in it. <laughs> but no, jokes aside, I think this section is really cute, especially because the girl imagines that all of the caricatures in the book, the king, the conceited man, the businessman, all have lives that carry on after the events of the book, and they've been absorbed into one big capitalist hellscape planet where they're all washed up, and they only have faint recollections of their younger selves. It does miss the point of them being archetypes yeah. that you might come across in your life. But as the little girl's continuation of the story, it's really quite cute.
2: I do find how funny it is like that the little prince, who is now Mr. Prince, kind of Mr. turns prince. into an off-brand shaggy. And it's almost made to seem like incredibly dorky compared to the book <laughs> um in which he's often the most profound character like i think the whole idea of him losing himself that's quite cute and turning into this dork who has no idea what's going on yeah <laughs> and yeah it's nice that the little girl saves him and makes him remember everything
1: she's got the youth after all yeah <laughs> the youth and, like, that this the aviator absolutely
0: can't get ancient 21 year old person
1: <laughs> I relate to him, to be honest.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's it's kind of terrifying because I'm like, this is most of my graduating class.
1: Yeah, at least so he can get a job young. as a chimney sweeper. No,
0: don't you that. see that he's failing at it terribly and has been fired from five jobs already? <laughs> and is about to be fed into the paperclip making machine? Yeah,
1: yeah. that's Which
0: I think is the implication, actually, now that I think about it, that like if he fails at this job, they will literally feed him into a paperclip making machine.
1: Yeah, yeah, because he'd be more useful, yeah, and efficient as paperclips than as a living human being. Oh.
2: Horrifying.
0: It is yeah. horrifying. I don't know. I really kind of. Yikes. I was not a huge fan of the section when I watched it because I spent most of the time going, "What the actual hell is going on?" Um,
1: <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs>
0: but you know, I really like you know what. Now that we're with this idea that like that bit is you know, how we mentioned that the film is interested in staging the process of reading, and I think this section is, like, the ultimate mm. example of that. She's basically, I don't know, somewhere between writing a literary essay and writing fanfiction about The Little Prince at this
1: point. Fanfiction! <laughs> um, yeah. it's,
0: it's not so much man. a self-insert fic <laughs> as it is, like, that weird mystical thing that you do when you're analysing a text and you sort of over-project yourself into it in a way that sort of both mm. clarifies and muddies the themes. Just the little details in this, you know? Like, how the the planet made of cities looks a lot like all the snow globes that her missing father mails her glued together. Which by the way, that was horrifying. Um
1: Yeah, I like that.
0: Yeah. And like the whole the yeah. whole the way the whole segment like echoes with quotes from the book that i taken entirely out of context, but like continue to possess some sort of weird totemic power. Like there's a bit where, where the girl is trying to convince the king to take her up to the top floor and she's just like, when conditions are favourable. And I'm like, N- no, <laughs> that's not what that means.
1: But <laughs> that- that doesn't make sense. And the king's just like, ah, I've got your G, you, G. I've got <laughs> you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, it doesn't even make grammatical sense in context. I mean, like, I don't know. It just, it feels a lot like what happens when I read a text in this sort of way where like you over invest in a character and in a scenario and you sort of look at the text through the image of your own life and like, you look at your life through the lens of the text and you look at the text through the lens of your life until they sort of blend into this weird thing. And like, all the words of the story yeah, take on yeah. iconic and totemic power, even if you use them out of context. Thinking of all those people who just like randomly tattoo lines from books onto their bodies.
1: Uh, I am becoming the text.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I am become text destroyer of worlds. Destroyer of worlds. <laughs> We've done it again.
1: She kind of inserts herself into her own continuation of The Little Prince, where she's the hero. She has become the story's legacy. You know, in the absence of the old man. Yeah. Her version of the Little Prince's world, yeah, does seem to be informed by the absurd capitalist film that the world has created and which she inhabits. Mm. Like you say, with the snow globes, an evil academy teacher. Mm. That's not a character in the Little Prince, but it is in her version. And then she imbues the lines that she likes from the book with totemic power. I praise the narrative framing of this adaptation, not just for doing something bold, but because it makes sense for a novella about individual interpretations to have a reader analogue in a world where creativity is discouraged carry on the events of the book using her own imagination. It yeah. does feel like the that lesson from the book has been learned, at least. Yeah, it does demystify a lot of the book's many interpretations by choosing mm-hmm. a central protagonist, oh but hell. I can't bring myself to dislike it. Also, I love how the little prince is called Mr. Prince, yeah. and he's just the little intern now. And he cleans the chimneys on top of skyscrapers <laughs> because he used to clean out volcanoes on his home planet. Right. That's not even alluded to in this film, but it's just a neat visual reference. Ah!
0: Okay, well, you don't have to say it quite like that.
1: <laughs> no, this is a, this is a beautiful ah. Uh, this is an I'm an overcome with emotion.
0: That's fair. At how
1: much the screenwriters evidently cared about this book.
0: Yeah. I agree with you about that. And, like, I'm also... I don't know. I'm really into how, like, the actual plot of this segment revolves around the real slash adult slash capitalist world just like, invading and consuming the world of the Little Prince. Because that is literally what is happening. Yeah. Like, the, the world of the girl is invading and corrupting the story world because she's the one who's interpreting it. And it's sort of... Both the plot Mm. and the meta plot are the same. Yeah. Although like I will Mm. have to admit she's
1: saving people from it, just like the airman
0: tried to save her 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 from
1: hers. And yeah,
0: the 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 blending of like the meta plot of the girl is reading this book and projecting her own life story into it and the technical in universe plot of somehow the businessman has conquered the universe. (laughs) (laughs) Mirror each other very nicely. Yeah. 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 I do have to admit that like, I kind of got this mostly in hindsight, partly while writing this script, so I'm not convinced that this reading is immediately yeah. obvious, and that like, for me stopped it from landing quite as well as I would have liked it to, I think.
1: Yeah, I know what you mean. I think for me personally, it did land. Not completely, it had a very bumpy landing yeah. in my brain. Uh, and that's not just me boasting that I have next level critic powers. You just <laughs> don't understand it, man. You just don't get it. Because I hadn't found a way to put it into words uh, just like you did then, Kim. Oh. And the film does throw a lot of visual stimuli at the viewer quite quickly, which mm. if you've read and enjoyed the book, like Amy had, you might not be entirely comfortable with it in mm. the moment. You're yeah. like, what the hell? The businessman is Phil Mitchell now? Yeah, it definitely
2: took two viewings and also this whole the script writing process for me to go well actually like I don't hate it as much <laughs> as I did the first time like it's actually quite nice
1: yeah writing nerdy critical essays about your favorite media would it's recommend fun. it's fun guys do enjoy it <laughs> but yeah the fact that the film has gone to the effort to establish this original character and this world The fact that Le Petit Prince is already about individual interpretation, among other things, it had clued my brain into thinking, ah, yeah, the girl's getting into the plane and she's continuing the story by herself. I feel like it had adequately keyed me in to think about this world is being projected through her eyes, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: even though, yeah, (laughs) some of the stuff that happens is a bit trippy and ridiculous. Yeah.
0: I will say also, like, on its own merit, that bit of the film is viscerally horrifying. And I mean Mm. that as a compliment. Like, my skin was crawling. I was so upset.
1: Mm. The academy teacher turning into, like, frickin' Dr. Octopus. (laughs) He looks like Waluigi mixed with the critic from Ratatouille. Oh my gosh. He's got, like, this machine with robotic arms which just, like, (laughs) absorbs you into capitalism
0: i mean i was thinking more of like the utter decimation of the little prince's self-esteem but you know (laughs) that
1: yeah that as well but then that just makes his eventual redemption so beautiful Mm -hmm. he doesn't even realize he does it he's just like oh my god my innate childishness that i want to rekindle it's back yeah it's back i can feel it (laughs) i'm peter parker
2: (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> um and speaking of things that erode your self-esteem and are
1: viscerally horrifying
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about capitalism
2: our favorite
0: subject our yeah. favorite subject
1: see amy knows what we're about on scribe to screen oh
0: yeah i mean she lives with you so i'd assume <laughs> she's had to put up with your crap enough
1: so capitalism is killing our children is definitely the threat of the Petit France that This film runs with the most. Mm. It's not a terrible interpretation, especially for 2015, considering when parents discovered there was an actual pandemic happening this year. The first concern I heard from a lot of them was, but what about my kids' exams?
2: (laughs) Oh no! I mean, yeah, when COVID was first becoming like a huge thing in the UK, I feel bad because My first thought was like, what about my exams? Like, I was less concerned with catching COVID than I was about setting my exams and getting (laughs) grades to get into university. And the film definitely like mirrors the way that children are programmed to only care about education and academic subjects.
0: Yeah. And like, you know, more to the point, sort of educational achievement because the girl's not particularly interested in learning anything either. It's more like, you know, getting good grades and things like that.
1: Right. Being successful. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So hi, welcome to Singapore. <laughs> yeah, I don't- It always comes back to Singapore to with these people, doesn't it? Gosh, I know, right? I mean, I don't really have a lot to add in terms of analysis, so I'm just going to list the things that remind me, horrifyingly, of certain aspects of common Singaporean life, including, but are not limited to, the education <laughs> system, the tuition industrial complex, <laughs> and the most horrifying parts of actual parenting that apparently goes down in my country.
1: So I hear- Hi, Kim's parents. <laughs> so I hear. Okay, you saved yourself. So I
0: hear. Uh, yeah, okay, so the things include um, the ridiculous pressure to get into a good school, training children to give rote answers so that they are no longer capable of rational thought, tone policing, tick, tick. emotion <laughs> policing, tick. paying stupid amounts of money tick. to move into a school's catchment area, thereby buying your way into educational opportunities totally unviable for the poor, even the less rich. Ahem. Tick. <laughs> <laughs> Working through the holidays... Not- the absolutely horrifying life plan. Oh, um, every second of Jake. your life rigorously planned for and scheduled until you're basically a machine. Years down the line, like decades into the future, until when you are legally an adult and you still have a life plan to follow. The wrapped microscope as birthday present. My favourite one, actually, is this the moment when the daughter says to the mother, You care about this, as in the life plan, more than me. And the mother responds with, I care about it just as much as you. It is you. At which point I just, like, died. Because, wow. Yeah. Um,
1: Single yike. Extended infinitely. It's a yike
0: for me, dog.
1: <laughs> That's gonna be a yikes for me, dog. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that the film is mostly about the horrors of capitalism and how it destroys creativity and free expression. Yeah. But the fact that the last word of the film is being viewed through the girl's eyes justifies that. And the fact that this is incorporating some of Le Petit Prince's uh, philosophical musings into the equation, raising questions like, did the girl find the little prince? Was it all a dream? Does it even matter if it was? You know, it still keeps it very much in the vein of the source text, yeah. even though it's adding yeah. so much of its own content and I- throwing at it throwing at you really quickly.
2: I do love the parallels between both endings and their philosophical implications. Because in the book, at the end, the little prince goes off to his planet and we question, like, did he actually go off to his planet or did the snake kill him? But what Anton de Saint-Exupéry is trying to ask is, does it actually matter? And the film is also doing this with the little girl's trip to save Mr. Prince. Was it a dream? Yeah. But does that matter? Or, like, does this matter due to lessons that we've learned on the way or are they just trying to push this idea of us using our imagination and just believing for the sake of believing that it is like it is real
1: right because it's slightly better to do that than stew in despair for the rest of your life
2: (laughs) essentially yeah
1: yep you know yeah wholesome messages for kids
0: (laughs) i mean for my part my thoughts are less like philosophical and more just i i like how the film identifies the businessman as the ultimate villain that he actually is hell yeah (laughs) nice
1: suck it kingpin
0: (laughs) i don't know i mean like i found that quite interesting as an interpretive thing as well because the book i think fundamentally treats the businessman and the rest of the adults as like harmless and benign right i mean we don't like him he's kind of a dick but like he's just a dick on his own and like not doing anything to anyone yeah He's, he's, yeah.
2: He's very oblivious in the book.
1: Yeah, he's pretty yeah. silly in the book. He's a caricature. Mm. And I think the point is that they're all equally harmless and benign because they're stuck on their own little planets or in their own minds apart from each other where they delude themselves yeah. into thinking that the tasks they perform are meaningful. Right. But the, what the and, last yeah. third of this film does is squishes all of those separate planets together and asks, what would happen if these personalities clashed? How would they interact with each other? Who would come out on top? And, yeah, and in the film's idea it's the businessman.
0: I mean, I think that is really calling out some of the bigger flaws of the book in its worldview, because like the idea of the Little Prince, the book, is like, oh, adults are sort of sad and pathetic and need to be redeemed. And there's no no sense of systemic you know, anything going on there. Like you say, they're yeah. all on separate planets. They're not interacting with each other. They don't create a world together. They just have their own little brains. And it's kind of sad and you laugh at them and have sympathy for them. <laughs> or you don't they're have sympathy for them, but it doesn't people. really matter.
1: That's fine. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> but this film is like, no, these, these adults interact. They create a world together. Yeah. And they are actually an existential threat to all of us because their behavior is terrible. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Hello. Sure.
0: I also kind of like how at the same time this doesn't mean that the film gets rid of the absurdity and like patheticness that the book brings to these characters. Mm. The soul crushing capitalism of the film is actually really absurd and that kind of is something that helps with the message. I really like the bit where like the bad planet has a machine that crushes everything and turns it into paper clips because they want to like make uh- things that are <laughs> essential. Which at first I was like, okay, this is fundamentally misinterpreting <laughs> what capitalism is about because late capitalism has no interest in essentialness; it makes waste all the time. And then I thought about it and was right. like, yeah, but no one's gonna use all those paperclips. Uh, right. <laughs> well, <laughs> how many paperclips does a person
1: actually need?
0: Which, like, Look, okay, in we that have to sense, keep
1: making the paperclips to enforce our freedom, to protect. We democracy. have to keep making the
0: paperclips to stimulate the economy.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I mean, oh, think no. about the economy, yeah. guys.
0: <laughs> I mean, I think in that regard, it is very accurate political commentary <laughs> because while everyone is like, oh, this is essential, this is reasonable, this is a thing that we're doing just for money, we realize that in the same vein as mm. all the adults in the book, this doesn't make any damn sense. Yeah. Which is, yeah, that is true. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's exactly what's happening here. <laughs> I mean, I do agree with you, Amy, especially. Like, the book is about a lot more than just this. But like there is a theme and I can't I cannot fault the film for choosing this one. I mean like it might not have been the theme I would have picked, but it is it is a theme. It's fine. And I like it, so you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I dig it. Like the way to do a perfectly faithful adaptation of Le Petit Pants is pretty obvious. Yeah. You just make an hour long short in the hand drawn animation style lifted directly from the book. Add some what? soothing melancholic narration over <laughs> it and you're golden. So I can't help but respect the film for doubling down on one of the book's key themes, the one that it thinks is very pertinent today and turns it into this personal story of this little girl, thereby acknowledging that there are other interpretations to be drawn from it.
2: I mean, it works. Like, yeah, I do find it upsetting that they missed out a lot of the most important themes for me, but that could just (laughs) be my interpretation of the book. But for the film, the theme of capitalism, it, it does work. Yeah. It it does yeah. the job, really.
1: It's a lovely power fantasy <laughs> to just have her to fly in and cause loads of chaos <laughs> in this weird mirrored version of her world.
0: Yeah. And and I love that the film was willing, at least in my interpretation, to criticize its source text and like build not just build upon it but also to just be like actually they were wrong. It's a lot worse than we thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean like, you know, I just the fact that the the main theme of this movie is capitalism is actively killing our children, and there is nothing we can do to stop it. But by God, we are going to try. (laughs) Which I just you know, you go, guys.
1: Sure, little girl.
0: (laughs) I mean, you know, like say what you will about how well it works, but I cannot, I cannot bring myself to dislike a film that looks at the Little Prince and just goes like, yes, okay, but what if it was the Communist Manifesto?
1: You know what, I think that should be the opening question for every Adaptations pitch meeting. Guys, what about Great Expectations, but what about <laughs> the Communist Manifesto?
2: It gets my vote. <laughs> yeah. Think
1: about it, think about it, guys. It'll be killer.
0: I mean, Great Expectations could very easily become the Communist Manifesto. What? <laughs> Next week on conscribed
1: to street. You're saying the social commentary in, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we could spend hours talking about this film, what we think of it as a piece mm-hmm. of adaptation. But I think we peaked with "What if it was also the Communist Manifesto?" <laughs> <missed.
0: Definitely>. So <laughs> it's
1: true. I'm gonna give my conclusion. Yeah, so let's do that. The Petit Prince, written in 1943 by Antoine oh. de Saint Exupery. <laughs> written by Antoine de Saint Exupery. <laughs> It's a fun, existentially damning book for the whole family. I see why it's a popular choice on French syllabuses, with its satire, Mm. symbolism, and postmodernist musings on meaning and emotion. But it's also a great surrogate French teacher. Woo! Woo (laughs) Woohoo! The
0: greatest possible compliment you can pay to this book. Exactly. (laughs) The Little Prince, released in 2015 and directed by Mark Osborne, is a brilliant film about reader response theory and the Singaporean education system, with a gorgeously animated Oscar-bait short film adaptation of the original book, stuffed uncomfortably inside.
1: I would die on this hill. It's actually about Singapore.
0: (laughs) Its voice work is middling, its interpretive choices are weird, but it looks incredible, and it gave me a feeling of creeping existential horror, probably on purpose, so, you know, call it a win. Win Win-win. Well done.
1: The best Christmas film ever. (laughs)
0: It is actually not a bad Christmas film.
1: No. Watch it with your family, guilt trip your parents. (laughs) Don't do maths, kids. No. It's bad for your soul. Do law instead. Do do law instead. (laughs) Truly a matter of consequence.
0: (laughs) Thank you for listening to Scribe to Screen. Join us next time as we bask in a few of my favourite things. Excessive (laughs) footnotes, blasphemy, and the end of the world. (laughs) That's right, it's the greatest (laughs) thing to happen to Tumblr since Destiel. Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman's 1990 novel, Good Omens, and its 2019 TV series adaptation produced by... also Neil Gaiman? Damn, that man is everywhere. <laughs>
1: <laughs> We'd like to thank our patrons, Dr. <laughs> Forstis, Mimi Byens, Jack Slater, and Claire So.
0: If you want to see more of Charles' work, you can find him on Twitter at, at Britonica, and he writes a blog about game design at www.ludonarrativebritonance.com.
1: If you want to see more of Kim's work, you can find her on Twitter at at Kimberly underscore Chew. You can find her music on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com forward slash Uh Oh yeah, you're still here. Yep. Amy, <laughs> do you want to plug your stuff at all? Of
2: course. Any chance I get, I will be plugging my stuff. Content,
1: content, content. Yeah. content. <laughs> get me
2: those clicks, please, guys. Give me those clicks. Yeah. So my Instagram is at and you can find my written work and more of my written work that will be coming out soon at Whoa. www.theyorker.co.uk
0: <laughs> I I just love The Yorker. I cannot, I cannot get over how good that is.
1: <laughs> it was the original, damn it. <laughs> None of this New York rubbish. We're
0: funny, okay? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Give us money at patreon.com scribe to screen. We're also on Twitter at at scribe underscore two. On Facebook at at Scribe to Screen Pod and now on Instagram at Scribe to Screen.
1: Hooray. Thanks. Thank you. And goodbye. And au revoir. <laughs> oh God.
0: A pronunciation guide for uh oh my God I find I'm terrified. Antoine desen Saint- des <laughs> songs <laughs> That was me. My oh favorite. my God. <laughs>
1: It always fails you <laughs> when you need it the most.
0: How do you do it? What is it?
1: Go, Amy. Go on. Antoine
2: de Saint-Exupré.
1: Antoine...
2: Antoine de Saint-Exupré.
1: Oh, God. <laughs> I want to die! Antoine de saint Exubré. Yeah. Like, brie. Antoine it's not, though. de
0: Saint-Exupré. Exupré. <laughs> Exupré. Antoine de
1: Saint-Exupré. <laughs> I always feel like I'm missing a bit out in French. Like I'm missing a word that doesn't look like it should be pronounced at all.
2: That is French all over.
1: Yeah. Antoine de Saint-Exupéry.